Well, may the Lord be with you. The football season is upon us. Can you believe that? Time for football again. And it's easy at this time of year to find a lot of Oregon fans. But it's harder to find a lot of Oregon State Beaver fans because the Beavers are losers. And the Ducks are winners. And winners always attract bandwagon fans. The Gospel writers describe Jesus' ministry as having both ups and downs. Jesus had his fans, but by the end of his life, we discover that most of them were bandwagon fans. We discover at the end of the Gospels that the remnant that remained with Jesus were his true followers. In this short passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 12, Jesus wants us to know what it means to be his true follower. Are you a true follower of Jesus? Are the people that you interact with who claim to believe in Jesus, true followers of Jesus, are the people who may be listening to this recorded message on the internet, are you a true follower of Jesus? Jesus says that his true followers are his little flock. This word little in the Greek language is the word micron, where we get the word micro. It means only a few, a small number. We need to remember that Jesus said in Matthew 22, many are called, but few are chosen. In Matthew 7, Jesus said to enter through the narrow gate because wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many find it. Jesus says again in Matthew 7, many will come to me at the end of the age and say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do mighty wonders in your name? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. James in his epistles says, you believe in God. You do well. Even demons believe and they tremble. The scriptures, Jesus, the apostle Paul, the brother of Jesus, James, seem to imply that there are many who believe but many are deceived and are not true believers. Jesus says his true followers are his little flock, not his big flock. This word little also has the implication of being vulnerable. When you're few in number, you're exposed to the strength of those who are many in number. The history of the church in the world is a history of persecution. The places where the church is growing the most, the places in the world where the church is on fire, the church is vibrant, truly vibrant, are places of extreme persecution. Through most of its history, the church has been persecuted. Even in our own country, aren't we seeing a growing anger at the church? 
Aren't we seeing the church being slandered by more and more people? And we're even seeing a rising tide of violence against the church. Many large churches are now hiring armed security on Sundays. I know of smaller churches in our area who are asking some of their members to get concealed carry permits so they will carry weapons into the sanctuary into the church building on Sundays. Our church does not have weapons here on campus. But his little flock are not many in number. His little flock are vulnerable. And his little flock also has the connotation of being unimpressive. In the American church, we like it or not, are impressed by numbers. The more people that gather together in the American church, the more impressed we are. The early church was unimpressive. One Roman elite wrote of the ancient church that they were nothing but a bunch of ignorant, superstitious shopkeepers. In other words, this Roman elite was saying, they're really unimpressive. My advice to this next generation of pastors who are coming up behind those of us who are a little older is to stop focusing on being cool. My advice to a younger generation of pastors is to tell them that they are not cool and that their churches, no matter how many people they have, what kind of music they do, what kind of programming they have, their churches in the eyes of most of the world are not cool. You are unimpressive to most of the world. Stop trying to impress them. Now, if I was listening to this message, I might think, well, Father John, you're saying that because you have sour grapes. Because, let's face it, Father John, you're a 57-year-old guy and you're really not cool. Let's face it, Father John, is that you have a small church and it's really not cool and you're just saying these things because you're not cool. I had been retired from coaching football for six years and last year I decided to hit the football field another time and I'm doing it again this year. And when I coach football, I'm going to be who I am. So this 57-year-old guy came out on the football field with my Nike Air Monarchs, which some of you are laughing right now. You call them dad shoes. And I was wearing my 1970s short, short coaching shorts, polyester, and I had my t-shirt tucked into my shirt. When we went to football camp last summer, there were a number of teams and coaches there from around the Northwest, and I was sitting at a table with some coaches from Washington and they said, where did you get those shorts? We want to get some for our coaching staff. And I said, you guys, you're teasing me, right? They go, no. They said, our coaches who coached us in high school used to wear those, those shorts and we think they're cool. I go, wow. So I told them where they could find some of those 1970 coaching shorts. Then later that season, on a few different occasions, I had kids look at me and say, hey coach, your shoes are really cool. 
I go, now you're, you're, you're messing with me, right? Because my adult children tease me and say their dad shoots. They go, no, they're really cool. And a couple of the kiddos went out and bought Air Monarchs. And not only that, but they were asking me where they could get these coaches' shorts. And these 70s coaches' shorts are really their short shorts. They go well above the knee, mid-thigh. And so they, they even did on Thursdays, Thunder Thigh Thursdays. Because they thought my shorts were cool. I wasn't trying to be cool. I was just trying to be myself. The church in the United States needs to stop trying to be cool and worry about being faithful. Worry about being the little flock of Jesus. If that in the eyes of the world makes us cool, so be it. But if it doesn't, so be it. As we near the end of the age, will the church of Jesus Christ be cool? Jesus said, will I even find faith on the earth when I return? Jesus said, if it were possible at the end of the age, even the elect would fall away. Jesus tells us that His true followers are His little flock. And Jesus tells us that His true followers are poor. In verse 33, He says, sell your possessions. That's a command. And in the original language of the Greek, it is a strong command. But that being said, the church has never understood Jesus' words to apply to all believers. Let me just give you an example. Jesus upon the cross on John in John 19 commends his mother to the beloved disciples and he tells the beloved disciples to take his mother Mary into his home. If his disciples would have literally followed Jesus' command, they would not have a home. So the church has never understood Jesus' command to sell all our possessions as a universal command to everyone in the church. However, the church has understood that it applies to some people who are called to be mendicants. It's another word for a mendicant is a beggar. The most famous mendicant of all was Jesus, who gave up everything. He gave up the privileges of his divinity. He veiled his divinity. He was always true man and true God. But he emptied himself of possessions. The other famous mendicant is Francis of Assisi. He was a rich kid who found happiness in what he called Blessed Lady Poverty. He used to sing to her, Blessed are you, Lady Poverty, for the wonderful, joyful lessons you teach us. Other rich kiddos from the nearby towns in Italy joined Francis, and everybody thought they were off their rocker. How could they be happy when they had nothing? They gave it all away, relied on charity, or, or they became day laborers. So this idea of, of selling possessions has been understood by some in the history of the church as being applying to them. But we should understand Jesus' command to sell our possessions as hyperbole. Hyperbole is over-exaggeration to illustrate a point. And the point is this. And the point needs to be noted. 
You cannot be with God unless you first become poor. You cannot be with God unless you first become poor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. He emptied Himself of the privileges of His divinity so that you by His poverty might become rich. Anyone who would interpret this verse to mean material possessions that Jesus came, lived, suffered, died so that we could become wealthy, anyone who would teach that is teaching heresy. We become rich through inheriting the kingdom. For in Luke chapter 6.20, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor, for those is the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is quoted again as saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. I think it's very sad that many, if not most people, do not know their own heart. Really, how many people do you know really understand and know their own heart? As a pastor, I I may or I may not be able to help them know their own heart. But one thing I can do is show them where their heart is. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To know your heart, you have to first of all find it. And to find it, look to what you treasure. And there you will find your heart. Where's your treasure today? Anyone listening to me, where is your treasure today? What do you really value? What are you most concerned about? Where do you spend most of your time and your energy and your worry? That's where your heart is. And when you find your heart, it's going to reveal your heart to you. Do you have a heart after God's own heart? Or do you have a heart? after the things of the world. What do you treasure? There your heart will be. Jesus said in Matthew 13 that the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field. A man found this treasure, reburied it, and then sold everything he had to buy that field. He sold everything to buy the field because the field contained the treasure. Have you ever heard the expression, one man's trash is another man's treasure. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Jesus said many are called, but few are chosen because ultimately they're called to the kingdom of God. And when they they look at it, they discover that treasure buried in a field. And when they dig it up, they look at it and they say, this is trash. No way. I'm going to invest in it. But a few find that treasure. They say, I'll give up everything for it. Christ tells His true followers that they must become poor because unless you become poor, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Family's good. Work's good. 
But where's your treasure? Relationships are good. Material possessions can be good, but where's your treasure? That's where your heart's going to be. You see, no one can be with God unless they are poor. You cannot enter the kingdom of God and eternal life with a wealth of pride in the meager good works of your life. You can't enter into the kingdom of God with a horde of selfish self-interest stuffed into your pockets. You can't be with God. You can't be with God. You can't be with God unless you are poor. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can't be with God unless you're part of His poor, vulnerable, unimpressive little flock. The end of His life the end of his life, how many people were there with Jesus? Not many. They were bandwagon fans. This is a hard message for the church today. It's even a little scary to hear the call, the ancient call of Christ and the apostles in the early church that were filled with martyrs to give up your life, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. It's scary. It's intimidating. But listen, Jesus said, do not be afraid. Don't anguish. Don't fret. Don't mourn. Don't regret. Don't travail. Don't worry, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I'd like to end this message with a prayer of Jesus found in Matthew 11. Verses 25 and 26. Let's bow our head. I praise You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because You have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what You were pleased to do. Amen.